This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Strongman Specialty Seminar. Similar to our very own CrossFit football, these coaches travel the world in an attempt to introduce the masses to lifting awkward shit. No Atlas Stone goes unturned as we dive straight into how Rob got started in this racket and his first impression of Logan, a young noob with an ego and subsequently a torn biceps tendon. Find out how Logan was able to shape his gym around the philosophies and practices that he learned from Rob at his first Strongman Seminar. And you hear strongman, but apparently it's all about the ladies. That's right. Rob explains how and why the seminar is geared towards the female population. Then comes the science. How many strongman injuries have these guys seen over the years? The number is going to surprise you. Find out why the misconceptions swirling around the sport are actually just a bunch of bullshit. Do you like getting stronger? Of course you do. Well, if you've never tried the cold bar method, as explained by Rob in this episode, prepare to have your mind blown. This is taking linear progression to a whole new level. Let's be honest, with this many strongmen in one episode, things are bound to get a little hot, heavy, and awkward. This is episode 105. What's up, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to the premier podcast from Strength and Conditioning Power Athlete Radio. This is Denny. I got the Power Athlete coaches, John, Luke, Tex, and Callie on the horn. And today our guests are Rob Orlando and Logan Gilbreck. What's happening, guys? What's up, guys? How's everybody doing? I got to say, dude, we talked yesterday just real quick, but uh, happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you very much, man. I uh, I made it to 40. It's a milestone. It, it's all over, dude. It's all over. Don't <laughs> they say life begins at 40? I'm looking Fred at life like a bell curve, and I'm just starting to get towards the top. Fred oh, Hatfield squatted a grand at 43. Yeah, so. what the fuck are you doing, Rob? <laughs> he squatted a grand at 43. I'm 41, and maybe you get two more years, Danny. Squat a grand. You got two more years. It'll be fun. You'll make it. Yeah. Right, I keep following Field Strong. I'm kicking ass. I'll get there. So, how's everybody doing? Luke's out in the field somewhere, right? He's like hunting turkeys. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah I just, I'm in uh, I'm in Savannah, Illinois, about ten miles off the Mississippi River. Bagged myself a turkey this morning. No big deal. Dude, that was a pretty solid. I, I wake up this morning and there's a uh, text message with a picture of Luke with this pretty gnarly turkey. That's a, that's a pretty big Tom, huh? Yeah, man. Uh, they, they are, uh, they're, it was crazy. It's the craziest month I've ever been on just how they, they, uh, get up and, and 
basically attack these decoys. And at the end of the day, like they're the ugliest fucking bird I've ever seen, man. They look like a uh, half velociraptor, half fucking rooster. It's they're, they're <laughs> ugly. Dude, uh, we used to go uh, turkey hunting back in the Midwest, and the funniest is uh, they would set out these like female decoys, and the males would go over and basically be taking the decoy to town and be humping them. And you'd literally stand up and like, you know, stand up. These things would look right at you, and they wouldn't stop. And I'm like, <laughs> like American like, psycho yeah, style. Like, totally, like, like totally, like, like looking over at you, like make eye contact. These things just put an arrow through his neck. Oh <laughs> my god. I was like, he's I was pretty aggressive birds. And uh, a turkey came out of um, a tree line. I was hoping it was a deer, but it ended up to be a turkey. And the, and the fucker flew. Have you ever seen one of those fly? They're like they don't really fly. Down. It's kind of like a big hop. Eight feet. Well, yeah. no, no. They so they they roost up in the trees at night, so they're away from predators at night. And then in the morning, they pop off and they fly out. And they fly. You know, they can fly like a. We saw a couple of them take off today and flew easily 50 feet, 100 feet. But they're I had huge. No idea they had that technology. Danny, <laughs> yeah. did you kill him anyway? I was too busy shitting my pants, man, because that thing scared the hell out of me. Yeah, it was pretty good. What I the mean, fuck uh, are we you, talking well, about? Well, right we're now. a little funny. I mean, Luke actually got turkeys this weekend. Last weekend, I took down two 300 pound plus pigs. So, yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. Yeah, dude, we're trying to. We're we're getting all the species for the, for Power Athlete Nation. We're gonna feed everybody uh, <laughs> thousands of pounds of boar and then like ten pounds of turkey. How many so pandas? The uh, the processor came me yesterday, and I think my my one pig was like 112 pounds, like fully just carcass, fully dressed, <sighs> and the other one was like 90 and change. And then uh, the two guys that I went hunting with decided they didn't want their pigs, and so they threw it on mine. So the guy's like, "You have four pigs. Jeez. You have well over 400 pounds of meat." I'm like. Back that shit up. We're going to get it. So they're processing it right now. Wow. I'm glad we had that. We can fulfill the National Geographic portion of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Just because you don't have anything to contribute. No, I, I I haven't killed anything today, so I'm already like minus well, one. Well, the day is young. Thank God I edit this podcast. You guys, <laughs> you guys are awful. Okay, let's get in. Let's get into something relevant. Um, Rob. Yeah. Uh, let's chat. Let's chat with you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be in the position that you are with. Uh, both hybrid athletics and strongman, and uh, and your connection to Logan as well. Yeah, sure. So um, I, I've been training, not training, but I've been working out since I was about 12 or 13 years old. Um, I, I just always gravitated to it. Uh, when I was I think, um, 13, my father gave me a pull-up bar for my birthday. When I was 14, I got a bench press set, and um, you know, I just I, I always liked it. So it was just something that I did. It became part of my life really early. Um, over the years. Uh, people ask me like, who were my influences, and 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 who kind of got me into it. And the, the truth is, nobody really. I, I never read, um, you know, magazines. I didn't. I didn't look at the bodybuilding stuff. I just did it because I liked it. I got off on it. Um, and over the course of you know four years of high school, um, I managed to put on a little bit of size and strength, and uh, went away to college and just kept working out. I I actually moved into a dorm specifically because they had the newest gym. Uh, at the University of Connecticut. Um, I majored in exercise science. I've uh, just been a part of it literally since I, was, since I can remember. Um, graduated college and um, 
I was looking for something to do. Um, I had never done any powerlifting. I had never done. I had never competed in any kind of strength sport, and just stumbled upon uh, a strongman contest that was sanctioned by North American Strongman. I entered as a novice, and um, I won the competition, and I set a couple of North American records at the time, and um, the, you know the rest is kind of history. Where I just I fell in love with that awkward style of training. And, and just a departure from the barbell, but uh, it just fit my personality and it fit lifting heavy. That was always my thing. So, um, you know, fast forward a couple of years, and um, I was I was personal training, and I was going from house to house, and I, and I saw the value of my own training and the things that I was doing, but I couldn't really share that with my personal training clients because they were, you know, I was going to their houses, so they weren't going to store tires at their house, and they weren't going to store axles and, and all the other toys that I needed to play with. So uh, when the opportunity um, was there for me to open up hybrid athletics, uh, I jumped in, and um you know, we opened up the gym, and I, I brought all of my personal training clients into my own place, where I had all of my own toys. And uh, you know, we've just we are a, a CrossFit style facility where we do a lot of CrossFit style programming and rep schemes, but we just use a lot of strongman equipment because it's so valuable to our members, um, and it's so valuable as a training source. So that's kind of my history with, um, you know, in three minutes or less. That's my history how I got involved. Um, I met Logan, um, God, now it's got to be two, three years ago at a, at a strongman seminar that we did at Ethos, um, and about 10 minutes into the seminar, when we were doing the, uh, the tire flip, um, after about five minutes earlier, I had told everybody to be very careful, that they had to be very careful about their biceps, and the bicep is the weak link in strongman, uh, Logan ruptured his bicep on the tire flip. What? Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> Noob. That's a that's a great uh, introduction, Logan. <laughs> well, we're so, all good about mentioning that just about every time we're together. So I'm used to. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So so I um you know I, I I walked over to him. I see him with his arm kind of dangling there, and I said, "What's that? What happened?" He goes, "I heard a big pop," and you could see the separation down at the distal end of the bicep, and and I said, "You know," and now I feel guilty. I feel horrible. And he's like, "No, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it." He spent the rest of the day. He went through the entire seminar, just kind of icing the arm and and, and watching and listening, and um, you know I reached out to him a couple times after the <laughs> seminar to make sure that you know that I just circled back and I told him that he can come back and do the seminar anytime he wanted to and participate. Um, and it just kicked off a, a good friendship. And, and I, when I talked to him several months later, he said that the seminar was really powerful for him because it kind of checked off all the boxes. Uh, and I'll let him jump in and explain what that meant. Go ahead, Logan. Yeah, I mean, so uh, for me, like the, the straw man thing was a little bit, I arrived at it kind of in the opposite fashion that Rob did. You know, my kind of strength and conditioning background is in team sports. I was a baseball player. And so, you know, I originally got excited about CrossFit on a more like, um, I don't know, um, ideal, ideological level. Like it just it made sense. I geeked out on like the what is fitness article side of things. Uh, I personally like wasn't super pumped after my career about just living in a gym and like feeling like shit in the middle of workouts. But you know, the, the need to like have this, um, quality of training in your life, like checked out for me, like, like Rob said, it kind of checked off some, 
some key boxes in terms of like the whys and the purpose. And so Strongman like surprisingly did that as well. You know, I think that's one of the biggest jobs we have with the seminar is speaking to like what we all think of it as, you know, this very fringe modality that's, you know, relevant to just a small portion of the population, specifically very strong men, right? And then kind of extrapolating that out and like, hey, maybe there's some some things about this training that is not only just like fun and cool, but also important and critical to kind of the goal, which, you know, I think a lot of coaches forget or like shy away from this idea that like people are knocking on your door because they want to get fit and look better and feel better and strong. And, and strongman has this kind of really cool way of like accessing intensity and load, like, almost immediately, right? Whereas, like, you know, we talk a lot about some of the other more technical lifts. We don't really subscribe to the idea that, like, people come out of the womb with, like, this idea that uh, the muscle-up is, like, something in their DNA or, like, the, the hang snatch is something that, like, we all just know how to do. Whereas, like, we can take these pretty, like, rudimentary tools and include carries, pushing, pulling, flipping, and, and get virtually anybody that stimulus like right here right now and so for me that was like too much to ignore in terms of like you know being a gym owner being a coach etc and so that's kind of where I grabbed on or latched on to the, the strongman thing yeah um, Rob let me let me kind of uh, <clears throat> pull from what Logan just said and, and ask you I mean one of the things that we struggle with in CrossFit football is the fact that our, our program system, the name, is is somewhat of a misnomer. And I think that you guys can have some of the same challenges when it comes to attracting uh, a wide group of people or casting a wide net with a name like, uh, you know, Strongman uh, or Strongman. I mean, can you speak to any of, like, the myths or anything out there that you think people associate with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, what we see – uh, at our seminars, and I don't know if you guys experience the same thing, but what we see at our seminars is if we have 40 uh, attendees, we'll have two or three women, and um, it's you know it's we tend to bias so heavily towards the men. But the interesting thing is that if you read the feedback and you actually pay attention, the, our seminar is designed for women, uh, and the women who do attend our seminar rave about it and often come back and do it again uh, because it's so empowering. Uh, where you know the, the the increases that an athlete might find in doing squat snatches. It, you're talking ounces at a time. Where if I can get a, a, a female athlete to carry a yoke that's two or two and a half times her body weight, the 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 feeling of achievement that's happened that happens right after that is just incredible. And and the women who attend our seminar um, walk out completely different women than they walked in. Uh, so the feedback is so powerful. Um, and I always tell I tell the coaches that our seminar is designed for women because for men want it. They come in and it's a pissing contest. Everybody just loads up the bars and you know it's a natural fit. Yeah, everybody just wants to tear their biceps tendon and and it's crazy. It it happens. It happens, <laughs> especially to taller guys with long hair. But uh, but yeah, we we see it all the time in our seminars that we have to fight that myth. Uh, in fact, one of the things that we discussed at the board, one of the first things we talk about is, you know, when we say the word strongman, 
what are some things that pop into people's minds? And uh, you know, the, the 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 consistency is gigantic men doing crazy things. It's like a circus show. And the truth is, the the actual truth is that strong men is nothing more than a series of movements, and those movements are hardwired into our DNA as human beings. Yeah, and so so Logan. Um, you know, you're one of the, you're a great example of somebody who went to the seminar and then was just like, oh, this this sort of fits uh, what I understand human mo movement to be. And, you know, whether it's from your athletics background where you know movement not to be confined to just barbell things or athleticism is not just what we can do in the weight room. Um, it can be these awkward movements and, and your ability to to sort of adapt immediately to those things. I mean, how how do you feel as a, as a gym owner, you know, implementing this into your training style? How, how has it affected your, your gen pop? How has it affected, um, you know, membership? And I know that you have a great location, so you've, you've even kind of commented on how it can attract people because it, it's, it looks interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, the intangible stuff too, like going back to what Rob was talking about, how this might have like checked off some boxes for me, like, you know, one of those intangible things that I think is um, too great to ignore is like, one, the, the fun element of this, and then the other is like this kind of aesthetic, you know, and so there's a, a thing about like a keg, for example, that, you know, whatever it is, mid-training session when you look down and you're kind of, you know, having that conversation with yourself, you see a, a keg and it's kind of a... Um, <laughs> it eases the burden of the training, whereas maybe the, the barbell can get a bit old, right? Um, it, it's also inspiring for other people, too. You know, we're right there on on Lincoln, one of the, you know, just busiest streets in L.A., and cars are, you know, thrown on their brakes. We've had a few <laughs> rear-enders with, you know, because people are checking out women putting kegs over their head and, you know, doing crazy shit that that is inspiring for people it, it makes people like ask weird questions about themselves that was like one of my biggest observations you know like little crowds will form at the at the gate there and, and people are watching other people do you know fitness but they're they're watching people with this perspective that's like wait how do I how do I feel about this could I do this what's my position in this thing like okay so am I stronger than that person what does that mean about me and and there's this weird dialogue that happens in people's heads that like either sends people towards it or away from it and and it's kind of a, a powerful a powerful thing I think yeah Logan oh, I'm curious did did you open your gym before you attended Rob's seminar man no I think I attended the seminar beforehand um, yeah, that was probably like three years ago. The gym's almost two years old, but we, you know, we had a an outdoor fitness school that that was essentially the same thing without a an address, right? And it was outside, and we had barbells and sandbags and the whole thing going. So, okay. so we had a community, a very full community, and we had a very full program. And this kind of just reinforced some directional things for me. Uh, Mike. Um my question would be, could you offer any advice for any listeners that want to attend the seminar and then start to implement this into the program in terms of these are new movements, it's a different approach, any way that our listeners could kind of learn from your experience? Yeah, of course. Like that, like I said, you know, I think a lot of people sign up for the seminar to put their hands on Atlas stones and flip tires and, you know, as they should. I personally, this is just my biased approach to the thing. When I, when I coached the seminar, the, the first 
you know hour is is where I think the the juice is, and that's basically a conversation about like why. And if we can do a good job as to explaining why this is something um, worth looking at, worth implementing, then people will do that, you know. And, and so um, that process is a lot easier than people think. You know, strongman equipment is um, generally inexpensive. The utility is extremely high, and so you know, we encourage people to have like, you know, a few basic things and then in include it into their training, especially in like a GPP fashion or like a, a CrossFit fashion, you know, as much as you're doing anything else. You know, the easy thing to do would be to show up at the seminar and then, you know, if you're one of the, the passionate folks that wants to go out and, you know, buy the, the kit and have all the gear, the easiest thing to do would would be for that to sit kind of in the corner and, and you have a strong man Saturday or something like that. It's a very common thing. But I think something that like hybrid athletics has done really well, you know, Deuce has done really well is that, you know, it's this kind of ubiquitous thing where, you know, people touch the gymnastics rings just as much as they touch sandbags, just as much as they touch the axle, etc. And so that kind of comes from the top, you know, am I willing to just consider these things just as important as everything else and then to, you know, include it um, alongside, you know, all your Metcons or whatever the case may be. In terms of like easy ways to do that, I usually coach people, uh, especially if they're like worried about the impression that some of these things would have, is basically to uh, start with heavy carries, you know, you can add in a uh, you know, what does an AMRAP with double-unders and pull-ups and push-ups feel like? What does that feel like with, you know, a 50-foot bodyweight carry amongst those movements, right? And, and so that's an easy way to do it. You know, a lot of the implements that we use mimic uh, movements that are already in there, you know. So now you're looking at very familiar CrossFit-y things, you know, like uh, Elizabeth with a stone instead of a barbell or, or whatever the case may be, you know, and so that top down, this is important and I'm going to include it with the same weight and uh, attention as anything else is like, I think the key to that. So if I may just jump in here and ask Rob, um, you know, that's a great segue to, I mean, Rob, you've been known to be, to do some of the benchmark workouts with unusual objects, right, or, or strongman more style equipment. Um, you know, can you talk about uh, the value of that and its, its transference to getting your hands around a barbell and just, you know, obviously anybody who has worked with strongman stuff, we just know how grip intensive, how, how much tensil strength it requires, and then obviously when you put something convenient into your hands, um, it's much easier. But can you, can you kind of speak to that and what, you know, what you found uh, in terms of like numbers or results or things like that uh, with, with other athletes? Yeah, I mean, from my own personal experience, I, I've um, I went and, and listened to Coach Glassman speak at my level one a um, long, long time ago, and and he started talking about um, constant variety executed at high intensity, and and to me that just dovetailed so perfectly with uh, kind of the strongman movement and modalities that I thought maybe it's it's probably good for me to depart from the barbell, like even on these CrossFit workouts where it's, you know, you know, Fran is 21-15-9 with a 95-pound barbell, but what if I did it with a 135-pound Atlas Stone? What if I, 
you know, what if I just stimulate my body? It doesn't it fit the model of large load, long distance, quickly, like constant variety? Like it, it all kind of blended together. So um, I'm not afraid to. Uh, what's the? I think it's Nancy, right? Which is a 1K row, 50 thrusters, and then uh, 30 pull-ups. So I think that's the sure. right one. Yeah, so, um, you know, like I did Nancy at 225 pounds just because. And that's the kind of stuff that, like, I'm not afraid to to, um, to get involved in a workout that it might take me. It, it completely departs from what the workout is designed to be, and I realize that. But I'm not afraid to jump in and do that kind of thing. I've, I've done – I we issue a challenge um, at a bunch of our seminars where we talk about – any workout where you're doing any kind of pulling at all, um, use an axle for a month straight, and then go back to you know some of your benchmarks with a barbell. Just see what happens to your hands. See what happens to your grip strength. Every all the pull-up bars in hybrid athletics are two inches thick. So when my athletes go and train, or they do another competition, or they drop it out a box somewhere else, and they, they grab you know the steel pull-up bar, it feels like they're holding a pencil. So you know what they'll find is that automatically the, the, the pull-up numbers go up, the chest bar numbers go up, so it has instant transference over to you know to increasing your your CrossFit ability. Um, so it, it's just one of those things that we kind of do seamlessly and we do it without much thought. Um, but other people, you know, other gyms, they're they're kind of um, they look at us like we're not following the CrossFit program, but to me it just seems like it, it fits the constant variety model. Right, and well, you know what, the joke's on them now because we're seeing more and more competitions where axle bars are being used for, you know, traditional barbell movements, right? So it's yep. kind of... It's kind of funny. So there is a, there's that element of preparation now at this point where it's like incumbent upon the athlete to be ready for that type of thing. Yeah, it, we've seen um, incredible adoption from the CrossFit community just to absorb new movements. Um, you know, I, I still I talked to um, some of the guys at HQ a long, long time ago, and they said, you know, what's your end goal here? And I said, I want to see Atlas Stones in a main site workout on CrossFit.com. You know, we see we see images of strongman movements and, and poise on CrossFit, but I want to see the actual workout of like 30 stone to shoulder at body weight or 30 stone to shoulder at 175, something like that, um, in a CrossFit workout. And to me, that will be that will be a, just a gigantic victory, um, because up until up until you know, our introduction to the CrossFit world and kind of introducing these movements to a much broader audience, Strongman was relegated to a couple of, you know, garages and closet competitions. It's, it's, it doesn't have a mass audience. There aren't big sponsors. There's, there's just not a lot of momentum behind it. So the, the CrossFit community has done a great job at, at, at adopting some of these movements, and, um, you know, we are making progress. You know, the interesting thing, too, is they're pretty easy to adopt um, in, in a and once you once you get an idea of, um, I think ultimately people look at strongman and think it's the high risk of injury. But one of the things that really resonated with me when I went and Logan did my seminar was that it's kind of like one of those things where you tear the item off the ground and you either get the lift or you don't. It's not like the keg's not going to get above your waist if you can't clean it. Your body's not going to, you know, your body's not going to just magically like find a way or, um, you know, it's not like it. it it's not 
typically something that is is done without a violent extension it either happens or it doesn't and and that really it does two things it ultimately like it helps kind of teach people to be violent with weights or more traditional barbell movements but it also um, it does it at a ve- relatively low risk, um, you know, assuming you don't like tear your biceps tendon. But um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's really interesting to hear you say that because to me, uh, we get this question all the time: like, isn't this going to hurt my lower back when I do Atlas stones, or you know, isn't this this yoke is this going to hurt whatever X, Y, and Z? And the truth is that uh, with all the seminars that we've done and all the different uh, people that we've trained, literally from you know 65 to 70 year old women, uh, all the way down to we had a 12 year old boy at one of our seminars um, in Pennsylvania. You know we run the gamut in terms of who we're coaching. We have yet, and this is an odd statistic, but we have yet to see a single lower back injury on any. Atlas stone that we've ever done. And yeah. you, like, I've seen people, I've seen people hurt their lower backs warming up for deadlifts, warming up for snatches. Uh, we have seen at, at our seminars, we've seen two injuries. Uh, one, uh, there, there's been nine ruptured biceps and one ruptured Achilles. And usually, uh, they're all by the biggest, strongest guy at the seminar, and it's because it's awesome. Thank you. Appreciate that. Hold off on that until I finish the comment, because usually, usually it's the, the guy who's six foot three, uh, 275 pounds. He thinks he's a lot stronger than he is, and he goes right to a thousand pound tire after the breakout and pops his bicep. So it's. <laughs> You know, there's a little bit of an ego thing there. We 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 just haven't seen the injuries that that you would expect or that people would expect at, at, after doing these movements at the different loads that we use them. We it, it to me it's it's self-governing. You either can or can't. There's there's not like oh well I hurt myself because I was half doing it. It's just it's not the case. Right, and the, the kind of like the way you guys set it up too and kind of work the progressions of, okay, we're going to get the hands around an atlas stone. We're going to deadlift it off to the ground. Then we're going to lap it. And we go through those progressions. But the thing is, you know, if your hands and your forearms can't even hold onto the object, there's absolutely no way that your lower back can take the strain of something that your limiting factor is restricting, if that makes sense, you know? Whereas, whereas like a barbell, I mean, I might be able to just grab something and tear it off the ground um, and be capable grip grip wise, but my lower back is going to be that limiting factor. You know, it just it, it like you said, it is very self governing in that aspect. Yep, no doubt. The implements too are really good teachers in that way. Like something I, I like to bring up in the the seminars is like, you know, people are motivated by failure more than anything, in in my opinion, in the gym, and so. These these implements kind of demand, you know, the way you're talking about it as like a, a governor. You know, they demand certain things where, whereas like say the barbell, to use that example, doesn't. You know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, the log will put somebody in the position to dip and drive in like a push press or a jerk better than they ever had in their life because you can go through your life up until this point dealing with a barbell and, you know, include some forward inclination or whatever the case may be that has gone, say, like unpunished until this moment, right? And and you can have a coach in the corner saying, hey, I'm seeing you a little forward in the dip, let's stay back. And to that you could say, well, thanks for the tip, coach, but I just nailed that 105-pound right. jerk. I'm the man or whatever. And right. uh, now all of a sudden you have somebody who hasn't maybe learned that lesson yet 
with a log that puts the load so far out in front of your center of mass, any forward inclination, now the log is is down or the, the lift is missed and people are like, well, I don't like how that feels. What's the, de what's the deal, you know? And so mm -hmm. the, the, the feedback loop is, is huge, you know. Um, also with the, the injury thing, you know, you could take probably the worst front squatter in, in the room and have them front squat with a sandbag or some other, you know, odd load like this and you'll see some of the best movement you've seen because of this just general understanding of like tension, you know, and so um, this tension that like protects them and also makes them a kind of higher performing individual is like required of even holding the load in that front like um, front carry position, you know, and so now you're looking at like these things that we like to say are dangerous or, you know, for the only the fringe athlete are actually things that we can't wait to put into the hands of beginners because it's actually, you know, in and of itself like a coach. You know? Yeah, so. that's that's super cool. It is like a task-specific uh, tension that you need for something like, like you said, front squatting a sandbag is completely different than if I were to, like, say I was a novice front squatter and I just, like, let it rest in my clavicle. My wrist is totally fucking... Uh, you know, bent back, maybe in a position that's hurting me because it's yeah. new. I'm assuming yeah. this is all normal, natural, right? And it's just, you know, like there's there's no tension, there's no neutral grip, there's no feeling and understanding of just like the mechanics of the movement itself. And uh, yeah, like you said, a lot of things can kind of go unnoticed in using like that traditional style approach. Um, it, and, uh, you know, Rob, I'm just curious, um, it just it like with your experience over time i mean how do you how would you progress strongman like what's a good approach to like i mean just in terms of weights um to to progress your your ability uh, do you change implements do you start with a basic implement and then move on to more complex i mean how do you approach that do you take uh like other things that you know kind of interest me is like uh i'm sorry is it it's not the um it's the log right you you call it the log right yeah the one, okay um, is that something that you would introduce with, with just anyone right off the bat, or would you start with something that is like closer to center of mass, or you know, like how do you progress these these different exercises? Well, you know, we we introduce them the, the the same way that we do everything else. So if we're doing a a muscle up progression or we're doing a log progression, to you know, we don't have an on ramp at hybrid athletics. We don't have a specific like you know four to you know eight, ten, twelve sessions of here. You're going to learn everything you need to know in the next two or three months. We just don't do that. What we do is we put stuff up on the board, and then we have multiple coaches in the room that if today's your first day doing the log, we're going to go break this thing down in the corner, and then. You know what we found over time was that the 70-pound log that we were making with Rogue was just a little bit too heavy for some of our females out there. So we had to uh, we had to create an eight an eight-inch log that was like 48 pounds, and now everybody can do it. Um, so we we bring the equipment to a point where it's accessible for everybody. But then the movement, the, the beauty, one of the greatest things that I think about the, the strongman world is that the movements are learned so quickly. Mm -hmm. That if I, uh, if you're, if you're day one, and you walk into the gym and, and I'm like, all right, well, we're gonna do snatch today, and you've never done, you've never held a barbell before, or we're gonna do clean and press with the log, I can get you 
it, regardless of your fitness level, I can get you to do a clean and press with an empty log, and it'll look pretty damn good um, in just a few minutes. I can't say the same for the snatch. So the the beauty of the strongman movements is how quickly they're learned. But if you're if we're looking at progression, I don't. I mean, my my programming for myself and for my gym is completely and utterly random. I don't I don't look at it like we're gonna. This is a this is a chunk of four, eight, ten week program. I don't look at anything like that. We program for our gym at nine o'clock at night for whatever we're gonna do tomorrow, and and there's we have a little bit of a formula, and it's it's only because people have asked us so many times that we came up with a formula on how we actually develop our workouts. But there's no, we're not looking into the future because the, I I can't I can't possibly predict how my 150 members are gonna feel on day 14. I can't. There's too many variables. So instead, we look back over the last couple of weeks. We look and see what time domains haven't we done, what movements haven't we done, and then we backfill the system to create a workout that's unique. Uh, so, so you know, the the way we program in our gym and the progressions that we use, it's probably a little bit different than most. Most are probably a little bit more structured than we are, but you know, our our members like it because it is truly random. Um, but you know that that's that's kind of how we we program and we progress through these different movements. We if if you're a 62 year old woman who's 100 pounds overweight and today we have log cleaner press on the board, you're going to get a log cleaner press demonstration and we're going to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Um, can you can you uh, just kind of segue into um, you know eventually uh, getting to cold bar status? Tell us where the the whole idea for for cold bar training came in, and you know what sort of influenced that idea and what it is to our listeners. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the cold bar is a, it's a unique concept that um, I, I read a book about these monks, and as part of their training, they would um, they they dug a very shallow hole in their in their backyard in their training ground, and, and it was you know like 12 inches deep. And they would stand inside this hole multiple times per day. They would stand inside this hole and they would meditate. Then they would jump out of the hole, and over time they would get to the point where, and they would dig this hole deeper over time, but the, the, the increments in depth were really, really small, and the time was really, really long. So over months and months and months, this hole would get progressively deeper. They would get to the point where they were standing in a hole that was like neck deep, and they would center themselves, and they would, they would jump out. So I, um, at the time, I had a bench press set up in my basement, and um, I thought, I wonder if you could apply that kind of slow, methodical um, training to a barbell. And I put um, 225 pounds on the bar, and, and to me that represented the, the very shallow hole, which is something that I can do no matter what. If you kept me up for five consecutive days and I had been drinking for five consecutive days, I could still lay down on the bench without a warm-up, without stretching, without thinking about it, and do it for one rep. And what I did um, over the course of the next six months was slowly add weight. Uh, and and it wasn't there was no thought-out program. I never, ever thought that I'm going to add five pounds next week and ten pounds the week after. I never did that. It was completely random. I would add weight when I felt like the weight had gotten so easily that my body had adapted. Yeah, that still, is, that's the slowest linear progression ever. Just kidding. Yeah, I but, don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no. So, so 
what I would do too is um, I would do it randomly throughout the course of the day. So I'd be sitting there on a Sunday watching golf on television, and as I'm as I'm literally flipping through the channels, I'd be like, oh, the, the impulse would hit my head. Oh, you should go bench one rep. I would pause the TV, walk down the stairs, take the bar out of the rack without a warm up, take it, bench it, rack it back up, and go back upstairs. And at the end of the day, maybe I've done seven reps, and then the next day I did ten reps. The next day I was traveling, so I didn't do any reps. The next day I came in, I did five reps. At the end of the week, I've done 50 reps. At the end of the month, I've done 200 reps. So you start to see this accumulation of work over time, and that, that was really what I was interested in. What I saw was that in about six months, I went from 225 pounds to 425 pounds, stone cold at 5 o'clock in the morning in my pajamas. I could roll out of bed and, and bench 425 with a two-second pause. Shut and, up. Dude, that's yeah, badass. And, so there's video, I, right? Yeah, there's a video on YouTube. Literally, I'm in my sweatpants. I walked down. It's 5 o'clock in the morning, set up my camera, and did a bench at 4.05 with a, like a full second pause. Shut so, up. And, oh but you, here's, here's the cool thing is that at the end, I was still doing the same volume. So at the end of a given week, I had done 40 reps with 4.05. At the end of a given week, I had done 50 reps with 4.25. So you start adding up the accumulated weight moved, and the adaptation is incredible. The, the bonus, too, is that any time a workout came up, any pressing event, any anything came up where I had to do 315, it was a joke. It was right. an afterthought. So the adaptation for me was unbelievably powerful. So then we set up a, a deadlift bar. Same idea, same concept. We started with 315. Uh, we left the bar just sitting right next to the gym door. So you would walk in, drop your backpack, put your coffee down, and deadlift it once. And throughout the course of the day, I would just walk. I'd, I'd be in the middle of a conversation with somebody. I'd walk over, grab the bar, pull it, put it back down, and back to whatever I was doing. At the end of a given week, I'd done 50 reps. At the end of a given month, I'd done a couple hundred reps. And my weight went from 315 to 585 in just a few months. Wow. And I was doing that stone cold five to ten times a day. Can you remind people to uh, just your height and weight, just in case they're not familiar with your uh, height and weight? Well, um, I'm five eight on a very tall day, uh, <laughs> and I'm right now for the last I'd say three, almost four years, I've been about 190 pounds. Okay, cool. So, uh, what happened when you stopped? Uh, I stopped on the bench because I got bored. Uh, I was just kind of losing my enthusiasm to do it. Bored with getting stronger? <laughs> well, no, I mean, but, but, but think about it. Like, I always wonder if, like, all of a sudden now, if you were to go back and lay down, could you still do that 425? No, but the adaptation was strong enough that I've I've gone back to the bench after not benching for, you know, as long as I, I take breaks for it, and I can, without question, I can do 365. So the, the, the goal, like, if, if I were to look forward and say, all right, I'm going to set up a cold bar again, um, I can imagine within a month or two, I'd be right back at doing 425. Right. The just... base level of strength is still higher. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So maybe there's yep. some, something to, like, you know, the the constant needling effect where it's like, yeah. hey, hey, yeah. hey, hey. I'd call hey. this, I'd call this Annoying. nagging. <laughs> yeah, hey, Rob, did you, yeah, did you have any of your other coaches or training partners doing the, the cold bar stuff with you? Or were yeah, you just yeah. going solo? 
No, no, we we have a cold bar set up in our gym right now that has like I think 475 on it. So it's just um, we had one set up for women at one time too. The hard part for women was that, that you know we had a bunch of women that wanted to do it, um, and the bar started at like 135, and over time I think it got up to around 265, and and there were women that just they couldn't quite hang with the speed that the bar was going up. Um, but for the guys, I mean, we've had it where. It, you know, there's, I don't know, seven or eight guys in our gym that'll walk in stone cold and pull 500. Um, the, but the bar, what ends up happening always is that um, our cleaning guy comes in and breaks down the damn bar. So now we have a sign on that says, don't break it down, just leave it there. God, he is a yeah. fun slayer. Holy shit. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the things that we, we issue that challenge all the time at our seminars is to try the cold bar. Um, and we've had some unbelievable... Uh, comments and stories on that. We had a couple guys in. Um, there were seven people in um, in Australia that tried it, and their deadlift just went through the roof. Um, you know, we just see some very cool statistics, and people always ask, well, "What about the risk of injury? If you're if you're walking right up to a bar that's that heavy, you know, what about the risk of injury?" And my thought is that I've done enough reps building up to this point that there's I, I never once even had a hint of injury. Not yeah. even a little bit, because I had done 200 reps the month before, and I had done several hundred the month before that, and the adaptation was so slow that my body was literally ready at any point, at any time, I could lay down and do it. You know, the... It sounds like our Bulgarian template when we were, uh, we, we had a deal where we were working up to 1RM push, pull, or press. Like it got to, to the point that where you don't warm up. Well, no, I, oh. yeah, I mean, it got to the point where I think I squatted between like 550 and 650 for singles for like 18 you do like in a, a row. You do like a and double at like, like yeah, 75. It, and... it, it was single at 225, single at 405, single at 495, and then I would go right into it. Like I would take like four squats. It's like we were permanently warm, and then you yep. had one RM than do do a couple drops. And you sets. just know you don't have the energy yeah. <laughs> to yeah. do it. Like, you know, like, it's funny that you yeah. say that because I, I did um, I did a CrossFit total competition with a, a female partner uh, about a year and a half year and a half ago, and my preparation for that was four days. Um, it was four days. Like I walked in, I would um, I would take out. Uh, I do one squat at 135, one at 225, one at 315, one at uh, 405, and one at 495. And that entire process took me about four minutes. The, mm -hmm. the only change, it was just changing weights. And then the strict press, I did 225, 245, 255. Like there, and the whole, that entire thing was just unload the plates, put the plates back on. And the deadlift, it was start at 500 and do 550 and get close to 600. From start to finish, I could do the CrossFit total in less than 10 minutes. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, you know, the other thing, too, I'm kind of like a geek when it comes to the mental aspect. And when, when you have an approach like this, like the cold bar training, I just it doesn't give you a lot of time to talk yourself out of the lift, right? So when you're working and doing warm-up sets or you're, you're sort of progressing or you're doing, you know, heavy sets of five and you want to end with, like, a you know, whatever um, – you have in your mind, you've, you've already put this pressure on yourself or you've, you've gleaned something off of the reps that you did warming up, like I'm not fresh or, or like that felt heavy or whatever. And so a huge part of it is just like, I did this weight yesterday. I pulled it for one or I did this an hour ago. Let's fucking go. You know what I mean? Yeah. One of the things that I see is that you know, when we, oftentimes when we test our one rep, 
rep max and do it nearly enough. So there becomes all this negative pressure, and it's like right. climbing a mountain. It's it's like climbing a mountain, and what if I can't? What you start doubting yourself. If, if to me, if, when I was benching 425, um, you know, at five o'clock in the morning, that represented I don't know, the better part of 90 plus percent of my one rep max, and I was doing it 50 times a week. So well, the other one is is uh, you know I tell people all the time I'm like dude. To get good at one RMs, you have to lift singles. Singles, yeah. Like, uh, you know, don't think that you're gonna do. And, and we we've seen people, you know, come off of like a Wimbler template where they're like, yeah, I got 17 reps at my 95 percent, and I'm like looking at them, and I'm like, you know, you start doing the math in your head, and you're like, so you started pretty low. What do you think my one RM is? And I'm like, it's probably maybe about five pounds heavier than you got that 17 reps. And they're like, no way, no way, based on the projection, I should do this. And I'm like. I don't give a fuck how many reps you do. The reps build strength, but at the end of the day, to do a true one RM, you have to practice that because that is that one big effort if you're used to doing a shit ton of reps. So the fact that you did that program, and it also coincides with another thing we found, is that um, when it comes to lifting weights, you can recover from intensity. So you can work up to heavy singles. Yeah, the volume was not It's that the volume crazy. that kicks yeah. you in the balls. Because you can do that every day, the singles every day. Yeah. And, I've, uh, I've always, so same thing. It's I've, the running that's I've the always opposite. Yeah, so you're, running you're, is you're exactly right. Yeah, so with, with running, it's, we found the exact opposite. You can recover from the volume. That's why you do tempo runs. But when you run intensity-wise, you can't recover from it as fast. So it's uh, it's a pretty I mean, interesting deal we've noticed. I've always I've always said that the the worst workout for me by far, the one that makes me not be able to walk for days at a time, is Karen. It's which is just it's 150 wall balls. But if if I do you know if I do the other day I did 40 reps of back squats at 405 and I'm that that didn't do nearly as much damage to me as Karen did. Right. And it's, the, it's the volume that gets me, and it's it's not moving heavy weights. Like that is not the issue. We found that in that Bulgarian program that when we were staying within a very curtailed amount of intensity or volume after like doing a drop set, it's like hey we're gonna work up to one RM. You're gonna come back and give me like you know, four doubles at like 85% of that one RM and coming back and kind of mixing and doing like a light medium kind of deal. Uh, everybody was fine. And then all of a sudden, uh, one of our training partners convinced us to do like, hey, let's just try a 20 RM squat. What? And we did it and everybody got hurt. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck that, dude. And then that's where we realized that like, if you can keep that intensity real high and, you know, be very smart on the back end with the volume and the accessory and all that other stuff. You can just ride that sucker, and it sounds like what you're doing. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to work up to this one RM on the coal bar, and then I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do 400 push-ups. <laughs> no, you're like, I'm going to fucking push this. Mile run, single. Mile run, single. Yeah, it's like you know, so like people like kind of fuck it up a little bit. It's not like, hey, you went over and then decided to do a thousand. It's uh, not hard enough. Uh, right? Ring dips, because obviously what you're doing <laughs> is really training, because you know you're not really working that hard. Because there's this idea that like you have to have some like physical receipt, and I'm like, just because you're breathing just, heavy it doesn't mean you work hard. It just depends on what your goals are. Um, Dude, I, I, I was at the douche today, and I saw people in there doing the fucking Harlem Shake for a workout. You can't say the douche, because that's the name of... I said the douche. I know, the douche. But that's also the name of uh, Logan's no, gym. Not, their place isn't called douche, douche. Douche, douche, douche. Logan's gym's the douche? It's called the douche? <laughs> you look... douche gym. So there's a, uh, there's a gym in Newport that's called the 12. The 12. And I call it the douche. I call it the double, and I'm sh- pretty sure that neither of those are accurate translations that were. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It uh, should be dose they, or something. They shit. have like imagine like CrossFit meets boot camp without weights and without any uh, idea with a uh, a DJ with a head. So like that's your trainer. That's sweet. That's and sweet. So sign me up. 
<laughs> so I, I was there this morning, and um, Coaching the class. workout actually looks like people are doing the Harlem Shake for 30 <laughs> minutes because I can't figure out what they're doing. Even though they have everything written on the board, now we see what they're doing. None of it correlates to what they're doing. It's almost like, oh, I see what you're on your board, and I'm going to ride the exercise. The right. more interesting thing is that John is never surprised by this, and he and he's gone there several times now, and he has, still is appalled every time. I'm like, what are you? Yeah. Why are you still surprised? Well, I, I, I'll tell you, you know what it is. It's. Uh, I'm it's not like, mad. I'm just disappointed. No, it's like an inherent belief that there's it's people hopeful. who want to get better, hopeful. not just do the yeah. Harlem Shake. I, I, I think it's hope. It's, you know, it's, not, it's not like I, you know, have this like ice heart that I got like chisel out every day. To my door, like Kelly, Kelly, Ice Queen Hinsman. Uh, how, how did you know that? You've been reading my. Because there's book. a drip pan underneath uh, you right now where your heart's <laughs> melting. Um, Logan, uh, Logan. Speaking of your gym, I do want to talk about. Uh, you've had a lot of success gaining popularity, not just in in the area like in L.A., but. It, nationally, I mean, people know your gym. Shit, we had the guy recently, uh, Dan or Daniel, at our, our seminar recently, who was just like such a fanboy of yours, and he's totally gonna listen to this podcast. But he, uh, but you know, it's just it's just funny because supporting the Logan. What, what's the Logan? The man fun? No, he wasn't. Oh, okay. No, he man was fun. just like a he was like a midwestern, just you know, wholesome. Wholesome. Anyway, he. Uh, you know, we got to chatting, and, and I think most people who do run into you and come to your gym are pretty amazed at, like, what you've built there in terms of from a marketing standpoint and just from, like, a culture standpoint. I mean, what is your approach? What's some of your advice that you would give to people that are just starting gyms? Or, you know, is it just is it just the Logan effect and no one can replicate it? <laughs> no, I, I'm not, like... Yeah, I don't know. It kind of makes me nervous when you say that, because like, you know, I don't. I'm not a marketing person, but uh, people, you know, people often kind of bring this thing up, and you know, I try to help, you know, people with questions whenever I can. But I, you know, I'm, we're kind of just trying to do the right thing, you know. And so on the marketing side, like, I don't know. It all just kind of seems logical to me, and and I've tried to figure out what this all means in terms of sharing it with other people and. I think there's like general ideas and then there's kind of like specific kind of like actionable things and, and just on like the general side, like kind of just watching the whole CrossFit thing happen, I, I just think more people need to figure out ahead of time like what they are, like what 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 is this thing, you know, and I think a lot of people have arrived at like you know, some sort of career in fitness or um, gym ownership or affiliation because, you know, it, it kind of goes like, but of course I, I would open a gym, right? It's like this natural evolution. Like, I'm good at this. It's changed my life. I like it. Like, but of course the next step is affiliation. Of course the next step is the grid league. Of course, you know, it's like all these things kind of evolve and people just um, jump into them. And so just from like a you know, a foundational standpoint, like, you got to understand if it's not very clear in your mind as to, like, what this entity is, like, whether it's a business or a program or whatever, then there's no real way for you to communicate that and share that with other people, you know what I mean? Like, I think what y'all do is is largely successful, whether you know it or not, it's, like, very clear in your mind in terms of um, purpose and intention and what you are, right? Yeah, so we say... We kind of say, like, you have to put a stake in the ground, you know. Yeah, and, and so 
we're very clear as to like what we are and what we aren't, you know, and it, and it makes for I think a clear message like from the get go, you know, um, it, starting to get into like the marketing stuff, you know, I think on a very basic level, a lot of people are doing like amazing work around the country and around the world, um, but you know, if you're not able to share that or communicate that, then you know. Did it ever really happen? Is this something that you can share with other people or not? You know, I, I think about all the brilliant weightlifting coaches and powerlifting coaches and gymnastics coaches all around the world that are like in a dungeon somewhere that, you know, no one can really access that information. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of got to maybe like just wear it a little bit and realize like if you want to impact other people, you have to like share what's in your, your head, you know, and, and that today it comes down to like simple stuff like social media and wherever like you know people need to see what you're doing um, if it's legit you know like that, that's something you need to share and then like on that general side like I think that marketing you know just from my experience is like the market or the people the consumers are trying to figure out what it is that you're saying and they can tell the difference between like what you are and this thing that you're trying to brand like and the, the greater the difference between what you're saying you are and like who you actually are is like a problem you know and so this just comes back to I think like authenticity you know like people get excited about listening to like Rob speak and, and you guys speak because it's very clear in their minds that you are about in a very like authentic way what you're talking about, you know, and that seems like simple, but I think that's kind of like the foundation of it all, you know, on like, I don't know, maybe more specific or like an, an actionable side to that, like people always say like, how do you make your guys stuff so cool or whatever, you know, like, I don't know, like Instagram, stupid Instagram shit mm -hmm. or, or the blog or whatever. And, and, um, you know, I I came across a guy, I wish I knew his name, who described this very well. And he talks about, like, the taste. And I think we all have, like, a taste, and whether it's, like, in music or clothes or art or whatever the case may be, um, style. And when you create something, you compare the thing that you created against this taste, right? So if I'm trying to paint something and I think that certain art looks cool and I paint something and it looks like shit, then I need to close the gap, right? I'm not done yet with the painting until it looks less like shit. Well, the same thing is true with like writing or something as simple as like taking a photo. I think we all know when a sentence sounds like shit or mm -hmm. when a photo doesn't look so great. All that means is you're not done yet, right? Not that like you're a bad writer or you don't know how to, you know, take a photo. Are right? we talking so, about actual shit, like 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 feces, or are we talking about? <laughs> just yes, it's right. a painting of shit. <laughs> I specifically asked Callie if I could cuss, so, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean. So yeah, that, that kind of like puts you in this um, this place of like responsibility, and and it's a cool little like quality control thing because I find that. People, for whatever reason, will, like, read something that I write or see something and, like, you know, I wish I could do that. I just can't. And yeah. I was like, well, what does that even mean? Like, I'm not necessarily good at this. I just kind of spent 
way too much time doing it or whatever the, the case may be, you know. And it's through that kind of like this idea of like comparing yourself to taste that like leads to just a huge volume of work, you know, and, and yeah. that's how we get good at anything, you know. Yeah, I like that you said responsibility, but it's not like a responsibility from like, I don't know, like a marketing or business standpoint. It's more of like a responsibility to be like authentic. And so yeah. you want, like you said, you want to be represented since you're you're doing your own representation. Like you want to be represented authentically and that has a, that ha bears a lot of responsibility and it takes time and it takes effort and it takes time to 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 be able to create images and things that um, that exhibit the brand and exhibit the culture uh, as best as possible you know and in in the way that's true um, so I can I can definitely understand you know where you're going with that um, yeah and this is I mean it sounds like uh... It, almost like the journey or life cycle for myself in Cali and Texas, we joined on John seminar staff um, because we knew the information, but we weren't able to engage with the information. We, you know, John jokingly called us autistic parrots. He's like, "You're just saying what I'm saying. Don't say what I'm saying. You know, say what you're saying." Type deal, and, uh, and it, it, it's it's a voice whether it's printed, written, it's spoken at a seminar. You know, that's it. Just the authenticity and your ability to engage an audience. I mean, that's where it all comes down to. And uh, if Callie likes to say, "Fake it till you make it," some people are just bad at faking it. You know, they're going outside the wheelhouse and they're stretching beyond their uh, their ethos or their knowledge base, and people can sniff that shit out and just call BS. And that's those are the right. people who are just trying to imitate. Yeah, yeah, and like the the kind of like the the fake it till you make it. I mean, like just to clarify, like John's totally he Luke's right on when he says John called us like autistic parents for a long time. So what I would do was was fake the person that I wanted to be. Like so, I wanted to be authentic. I wanted to be confident for you know whatever to to be able to um, convey the information or the material or whatever. And so I had to literally act like I was those things until I became those things because everyone goes through that learning curve. And it's just one of those things, even as a coach on a daily basis, you know, uh, a lot of coaches and I deal with a lot of coaches regularly who struggle with nothing more, like nothing's holding them back in terms of limiting factors more than confidence. They don't know how to make eye contact with their athletes and, uh, and, and, and get the work done, get the job done, get those athletes from point A to point B and have confidence in what they're uh, relaying to that that person. Um, and uh, it, it, you just sort of have to have to imagine yourself as a superhero and and basically and just act that way, be that way until you suddenly become that way. So, right. yeah, it's fucking and I know, and, Yeah, and, and I know you, you obviously were, like, making a joke about, like, the Logan Factor thing. You know, I think... Um, one of the biggest takeaways from like my time in, in college, like we had a, a really good uh, program um, where, I, where I played University of San Diego and like the big takeaway was like this idea of organizational culture, right? So like a, team sports do it really well, so, you know, some organizations do it well, but like, you know, I think we've all played for incredible teams where there's a, a culture that is like kind of everywhere all the time. It's not like a team captain thing, it's not a coach thing or whatever, and it's it's kind of this this presence that polices the the unit, you know, and I think the gym has done that really well, and that has nothing to do with me really or, you know, specific leadership. It's it's more of like 
there's this idea of a place where people, whether they're students or coaches, kind of like walk in and they need to like play up to this like standard, right, that is there. And that's not because I or anybody else has to like tell them to do that. It's this this like culture that's been created and and, and that I think is like the I don't know, the big intangible, like in terms of something that can go on forever and perpetuate and grow and, and, yeah. and influence other people, you know. Yeah. That I that identity and people just always wanting to identify with something and you've definitely like latched on to that and um, yeah, I mean, in, in, in the most positive way, too, and it's not like, it's very obvious that you're not, like, the Walmart of gyms, uh, you know, both right. in terms of, like, the, the look of the gym and the feel of the environment and stuff, but, um, but yeah, we, I mean, I think it's great, and people, if they're not familiar, should, should visit your site, which is, go the for Deucegym.com, <laughs> <laughs> D-E-U-C-E, gym. Yeah. yeah. I've been uh, just to look get ideas. Yeah, you you certainly have. Um, so Rob, let me let me ask you. Uh, I want to peer into the man that is Rob Orlando, and yeah. I, I want to know wh what it is that you do outside of the gym. What do I mean? Like, what are some of your interests? What did you do for your 40th birthday? What's uh, what are your biggest fears? Tell me um, what your biggest regret. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow, we're getting deep here. Yeah, um, I I like um, I have a real interest in. Um, Things that have motors. I like anything that goes fast. So the I, I love going snowmobiling. Um, that's what I did this past winter a lot. Um, I've got um, the only thing that I spend money on uh, really is uh, cars. So I've had I've gone through just far too many cars that I can count off. Um, <laughs> I, I I love cars. Uh, I'm I just signed myself up for a bunch of track days this summer. So I'm gonna I'm gonna learn actually. Uh, from a professional driver, um, how to get out on the track and do some racing. Um, I've got uh, I'm married for 16 years. I've been with my wife for 26 years. Um, we've been, you know, I've got a nine and a six year old, so husband, father, gym owner, and and now, you know, there's there's this tech platform that I'm a part of, and it's just something completely different. Uh, it scares the hell out of me, but it's it's a, it's a new venture that I'm involved with. Um, you know, I, I like Game of Thrones. I think it's one of the best shows on television. Um, and, I mean, that that's kind of me in a nutshell. Cool. And can you point us in the direction of uh, some, some must-see movies or informative, or not informative, but inspirational? Like, do you ever, I mean, you like Game of Thrones, but we're like kind of like movie people here, and we like... Well, I'll call them films. I'll give them like the benefit of the doubt. But something that something that's inspiring, or uh, maybe it's just brain candy and it sucks ass, like all the fast movies. Um. <laughs> Ooh, shut your mouth. <laughs> um, I'm a I'm a huge fan of uh, of the Lord of the Rings movies. I know oh. it makes me. But I, I don't care. I love them. Uh, the, I think the first one is the best one. So I'm, yeah. I'm a huge fan of that kind of film. We'll call it film. Yeah. Yeah, those are those – are, I'm on board with that. Those are phenomenal movies. So yeah, I will never forget the first time I saw the very first one. It was very similar to my Star Wars experience. Um, but, uh, Logan, how about you? What uh, what What keeps you occupied outside the gym? I know you probably don't have a lot of free time, much like Rob, but – um, what are you into, and what are some movies that that you would recommend? Man, uh, I'm, I'm super busy, dude. I don't know, really know what I do for a living, but you know, we have the gym, 
obviously traveling with the seminars. I own a, a company called Original Nutritionals. We do uh, kind of clean athlete things, uh, supplements, um, and uh, I kind of just like to soak up the Venice thing. I, I would like to professionally drink coffee one day. Mm -hmm. Um, and <laughs> that's about it. I, I live here in Venice with my girlfriend Lindsay, and uh, kind of between that and the gym and and all that, I'm kind of I'm tied up. Um, well, as an as a uh, semi-professional coffee drinker, I I will say the the life is good when you get a chance to do it. Um, you really should. When you retire. Um, and but what happens when you have to give it up? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. I would never. I wouldn't even dream of it. Don't ever. Wasn't that like a month ago? Oh yeah, I had to. I had to get off coffee for like uh, a week, and I mean, listen, I survived it. Um, it was fine. Yeah, but we we barely did. John and I <laughs> had to live through that too, you know. <laughs> Dude, I, I mean, can you imagine going off coffee? Like it just. No. It's, it's just <laughs> fucking dumb. And it, I wasn't even like physically affected by it, but it was just fucking dumb. It was a stupid thing. Um, you know, I can't. I so don't recommend Logan, it. To Logan, Rob, I've got a question for you. Yeah. I can see after uh, people, you know, go to the seminar, even you know, probably even contract you for consultation on how do I start strongman in my gym. Part question. You guys get why someone can't implement strongman or follow it personally, and then two, uh, I would imagine that you guys see some pretty pretty bitching like do-it-yourself home gyms, uh, whether it's via traveling or people sending you like, hey, look, crazy people hack together for a strongman setup. Luke, Luke, your audio what? is a complete abortion. Can you? Uh, can you just say the first part of your question one more time, Luke? Can you be more specific on the abortion? Is it <laughs> choppy? Is it loud? Is it static? It's it's choppy. Just stand in one place and just ask the first part again. All right, I'm I'm sitting. Should I try standing? <laughs> yeah, get a little right, closer to that question. satellite. <laughs> yeah, first question. Uh, let's see. I guess what is uh people you know as as. You got to travel the world, and and they're seen as experts on strongman. People have probably consulted you on uh, starting a strongman program personally or commercially at their gym, but uh, come up with uh, some sort of barrier excuse why they can't and why they're special and why their situation is unique. What is uh, what is the lamest thing that you guys have heard in terms of someone being unable? Uh, Unable to start a, a strongman program either personally or for their gym. I actually have two answers on that. So one, it, it oftentimes turns to finances, and people will say, "Oh, I don't have the money, or it's too expensive," and and I will immediately turn that right back around in their face and say, "How many Concept Two rowers do you have?" And it's, this is a knock on Concept Two. So, but I'll say, "How many Concept Twos?" They're like twelve, and it's like, "Okay, those are twelve thousand dollars of rowers." Do you know how many yokes you could buy for $12,000? And do you know how many different exercises it does? Do you know how, how, how multi-purposed it is? Do you know how many Atlas stones you can make with $12,000? You could give them up. You could, you could sell Atlas stones to everybody in your, your area and your zip code. Um, 
$12,000 is just an obscene amount of money to spend on a piece of equipment that does one exercise and serves one person at a time. When if you pour some Atlas stones, you've got an unlimited number of exercises. The only limiting factor is your own creativity. And you can make, if you, if you happen to break one in the event that you do, to re-pour an Atlas stone is pennies. So I, I turn that right back around in their face. The second thing is my members won't buy into it. And that's just complete and utter bullshit. It comes from the top down. The, the, the management, the owners of the gym need to believe in it. And the second part of that is that people say, well, how do I get my female members to, to, to buy into it? Because you know my gym is half men, half women. The, the most important thing I tell people is you need to find that one key influential loudmouth female in your gym. And you need to get her to support it. Because if you get her on board, everybody else will follow suit. All her, all her girlfriends will jump in, and it will become the cool thing to do. So those are the two things that those are the two excuses that I hear all the time. I don't know about you, Logan. That pretty much crushes it. I mean, it's not. It's just not a thing, you know. Like someone starts to talk about that, and you're like, that's not. That's not true. That's not real. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so let's jump back then to uh, kind of the finance. Deal, and I would think that there's a lot of do-it-yourselfers out there who put together some pretty elaborate uh, strongman contraptions or setups or kits or whatever. Uh, what's what's some of the craziest or most innovative stuff you've seen since I think you guys? I mean, Rob, we I've I've followed your search schedule. You've been all over the world, so I'm sure you've seen a lot of crazy stuff out there. Yeah, I think um, I saw in Australia once. I saw a a yoke that was rigged together with PVC pipe. And uh, plastic PVC pipe. I just thought that this. How 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 can you think that this is going to survive? How can you think this is not dangerous? Um, but it, Logan, I'll let you jump in on that one because I'm sure you've seen some funny stuff too. Yeah, I mean, in terms of cool stuff, up at uh, up at Rainier, they have like car deadlift simulators that are made out of uh, like redwoods, like massive trees with like handles on them and it's like right out front, you can't miss it type of thing. Um, but just most of the stuff is uh, you, everybody finds their like weird uncle that's like a welder, you know, and so like you see like all these, you know, attempts at like a log or something, you know, and it's not finished and you can like, you know, Slit your own wrist trying to use it, and it's just all all that stuff, which is like awesome to see. People, you know, every video and photo of people's garage gyms is like half inspiring, half scary. You know, it's a, it's a, yeah. it's, it's everybody's network of welders. I think is what it's not like, just weird uncles about. though. Like I welded a um a prowler myself. Um, of course you did, Kelly. And, so I welded a prowler, and this was probably like five years ago, and. Uh, I mean, this thing was solid. It was like a tack welder. It was like a little handy mig, and um, I I took it out, took it out on the road, and with one push, every single seam that I had that I had <laughs> welded completely cracked. Um, so I don't think that the the little welder that I had was going to do the job, but it was uh, probably like one of the more devastating moments in my life because I put like days and a lot of money into the metal that was acquired. And then you obviously have to cut the metal and you have to buy the blades to cut the metal. And that is expensive as well. Um, and so it was pretty like, it's pretty heart wrenching. I had to throw it away cause I realized I couldn't get it, couldn't afford the a big enough welder, but yeah, I am that weird uncle for sure. <laughs> Sadly. Um, Sorry. 
You guys, uh, if uh, I don't know if Bobby or Denny or Tex has any other questions. You guys have anything you want to hit on? Um, Mayweather or Pacquiao this weekend? I feel uh, like God, I'm, I'm, go ahead, Ro. Well, I was gonna say I'm so far removed, but I, I, I guess um, I think, I think I heard that. He Diddy put 1.6 million on Mayweather, <laughs> um, so I'm gonna go in that direction. <laughs> what would Diddy do? <laughs> do, you, do you think Diddy knows of, something uh, we don't know? Watch it, Luke. Ingle might get upset because you're taking his puns. Yeah, Diddy. So, Bobby, you think Diddy has some inside info? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Diddy might know something we don't know. Diddy knows a oh, shit ton that we don't know, but I don't know if it has to do with boxing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any other questions. I was uh, really interested to talk about the uh, the cold bar training, and I'm happy that that was a, a big talking point today. Yeah, good, good. Um, well, you guys, uh, where can we go to find out more information, Rob? Where would you point people uh, in the direction to get signed up for seminars or to learn more about hybrid athletics? Yeah, for uh, for seminars, it's it's just we use CrossFit.com because our seminars are changing so quickly and we add so many so quickly that that's the one place where they're updated the fastest. Uh, so CrossFit.com and then you go to the the trainers um, courses the to to look and see what we're doing at Hybrid Athletics. It's HybridAthletics.net um, and then I I I post workouts every day to StrongmanWad.com. And uh, that that's become a great resource for anybody who's who's experimenting with different strongman movements and wants to play around with it. Um, there's a, a very cool search box there, so that if if you only have access to a pair of farmer sandals, you can type farmer sandals in, and every workout that I've programmed for the last several years with that piece of equipment will pop up. So strongmanwad.com is a great place for people to you know if you're if you're starting to look around and experiment with different programs. I always say it's just it's nothing more than a workout resource. Um, I, I look at the web every day and try to find some inspiration somewhere. So if anybody's looking for different workouts, hybridathletics.net and strongmanwad.com. Nice. And um, Logan, um, I want to point people in the direction of Original Nutritionals because, uh, first of all, you guys have great products. You know, you were kind enough to send us some, and uh, we've been using the fish oil. I know John uses it regularly, and it doesn't taste bad. Uh, it actually doesn't really have a flavor, and Luke actually had to, I don't know, c correct me one day because I, I think I was taking way more fish oil than I was supposed to. I just, I eyeball it, and when I eyeball something, it just, it's like at least, you know, 20 times the normal dosage. Um, so, but it's it's good stuff. So where can they go to check that out? Yeah, y'all can go to OriginalNutritionals.com. There's uh, some cool info up there. There's a blog and all the products are there as well. Um, I do want to mention, uh, Rob and I are doing a tour the, the week after the CrossFit Games. If you're in California, um, we're starting down south and we're in a, van driving north with a bunch of strongman gear and beer and we're stopping at gyms along the way and I think it'll be a really uh, fun week for people to come out and have some fun, do a little clinic and um, socialize together too. So, Yeah, absolutely. Do you, that, do you have your schedule finalized for that yet? Like, is that posted out on your guys' site? Uh, I have a couple more things to finish and then I'll, I'll be posting a poster kind of with all the stops and the, the dates and all that. So that'll be done here shortly. Yeah, I know we're we're on uh, 
I don't know, the, the waiting list. We're sort of, we're still in line to get into the club. Um, I know you guys were thinking of hitting us up on the way back from the games. So, you know, like if we're lucky, maybe maybe we'll get like a like a look or something. But uh, yeah, just, just hit us up if you guys get here and then obviously we'll push that out on our site. Sweet. And if Sounds anybody's... Great. If anybody's interested, we have uh, we have some some tracks, workout tracks that these uh, these two fellows like to train to, and I'm not going to get into it now because we don't have a lot of time. But uh, they certainly are interesting. Uh, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna post those up with the show, and you guys can uh, whoever's listening can can train like Rob Orlando or train like Lo- Logan Gelbrick. So um, you know. We'll, we'll try to empower people's performance through that. Um, just wanted to thank you guys, though, as we wrap up. Thanks for taking the time out to to bullshit with us on Power Athlete Radio. Thank you, guys. This is crazy. Thank you, guys. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Be sure to head to CrossFit.com to sign up for a CrossFit Strongman Seminar ASAP. Want to up your strongman training game? strongmanwad.com and hybridathletics.net are your resources for workouts, training blogs, and equipment. No training and recovery is complete without the fuel to keep your machine running happy and healthy. Be sure to check out originalnutritionals.com and tell them Callie sent you. Actually, don't say that because literally no one will know what you're talking about. Don't forget that these guys are hitting the road soon. Rob and Logan are planning their epic road trip around the CrossFit Games, so follow them on social media to find out how you can sling kegs and drink beers with two professional badasses. Next week, we welcome Jim Laird of GYMLaird.com. This former roomie of Jim Wendler talks powerlifting, training, meditation, and why 90% of his athletes are female. We must be doing something right. Until then, bye!